read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. It says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And God bless his word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord, that, that prepares our hearts for life. Lord, we thank you for your word that, that teaches us. Thank you, God, that it challenges us and convicts us. Lord, and helps us to grow in our knowledge of you. Lord, this morning as we sing songs, Lord, I pray that this is not just a time of singing because it's Sunday, but it's an opportunity, Father, to engage with our Creator and to worship you from our hearts as you are a God worthy of praise, worthy of worship. Lord, I pray this morning that as we sing songs, Lord, that we use these songs to honor you from our hearts with the words that we sing and the words that we say. Lord, I pray that all attention and all glory is on you and for you. Lord, we're all gathered together because we recognize, Father, our need for a Savior, our need for a King and a God who loves us, who has given us a way to know Him. Father, we thank You that You are a gracious, loving God. May we worship You from our hearts this morning as we sing. Father God, we thank You for Your Spirit that lives within us, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank You for that gift. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, Father, that teaches us. Lord, I pray that, that you would work in our hearts this morning, Father, as we've been singing songs, Lord, songs about you, for you, to you, to bring glory and honor to your name, Lord, and now worship through the teaching of your word. God, thank you for allowing us to have your word and to have a glimpse at your character of who you are, of your love, of your mercy, of the fact that you are a just God, a holy, righteous creator. Lord, work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 
The Bible tells us where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. And so we were singing things that we've learned in the scriptures, that the Lord is with us, he's present. And so we've been looking at the scriptures and there's been, we're on our, I think our fourth message, you may not be right, but I'll work through them. The first was that we have confidence that the Bible that we have is an actual, trustworthy, reliable copy of the Word of God that God gave His people and was written and preserved for His people over time. And so how crucial is it that you have confidence that your Bible really is the Word of God? That that changes everything when you think about that leather-bound copy that you, that you probably have multiple copies of in your house. And once we realize that this really is God's Word, then we, we realize that it carries God's authority, that if it's God's word, then it carries God's authority, so we don't decide what parts we like and don't like about the Bible. We sit under the authority of God's word, that God's word dictates to us how we should live, and it's our authority. It's the absolute truth standard that we measure our life against. And so we saw how powerful that was that we would live under that idea that it sets us free to experience all the blessings of God, but also it holds us accountable to God's will for our lives. We also saw that it's clear. Last week we looked at how clear God's word is, that it's not something just for the experts, for the, those who, the studied scholars who know original languages. It's for everybody. The main point of last week was you can do this. You can understand the Bible, and we understand that we all have a growing, maturing level of, of a grasp on the Word of God, but the Bible says that we should uh, teach it to our children. So implied in that is that we can understand it enough to teach it to our children who can then understand it. So the Bible is clear enough for us to understand the things that God wants us to know. There's a lot of stuff He doesn't decide to reveal to us, and we're going to look more at that today. Those are the mysteries that remain in God's hands, but God has revealed things to us that he says those belong to us and to our children. And so we are to understand them and to teach them. And so today we come to this concept of the necessity of God's word. Just what do we need the Bible for? What do we need the Bible to know? And so today, in preparation for this, I did a, a, a YouTube study of Steve Harvey and the Family Feud. So we're going to play The Family Feud right now, and I expect you to answer out loud. I wish I had little people here that would hold up applause and laughter and all that, but we know necessary or not, the Bible is necessary, the Bible is not necessary, and we're going to put the top six answers up, top six responses up, and I want you to participate out loud, and if you get it wrong, don't worry, because I would have gotten some of these wrong before I studied, and I'm... I would say I'm not going to make fun of you, but I might because it would be more fun if I made fun of you if you got it wrong. But the first one I want you to tell me, is the Bible necessary or not? To know God exists. Out loud, is the Bible necessary to know God exists? Yes. No, survey says. Bing, 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 bing. All right. Y'all want to play or y'all want to pass? Y'all want to play? All right. We're going to play. All right. Good. I saw one today on the Tran family. It was hilarious. Y'all got to go Google the Tran family, family feud. Sorry. I don't know if there's anything around that bad or not, but I thought that was really funny what was there. All right. So the Tran family is playing. No, God exists. You do not need to know. You do not have to have the Bible to know God exists. A lot of the ones that are going to fall in the category of not necessary 
Uh, Romans 1 and 2 tells us the answer to this. So you can go study that later. We're going to study what the Bible is necessary for. But, all right, question number two. I'm going to the second person in the family, and I'm asking, all right, do you have to have the Bible to know God's will? Do you have to have the Bible to know God's will? Survey says... Bing, 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 bing. All right. Y'all are brilliant. If y'all keep getting them right, we can just go to lunch after this. And all the people said amen. All right. So we'll study that. How do we know that we need the Bible for, to know God's will? All right. Number three, do we need the Bible to maintain spiritual life? Really? Do we need the Bible to maintain Luke? I'm Luke. Got Luke right here. Where's Luke? There's Luke and Mark Pearson. So Mark is confident of his answer. So Mark says, you do need the Bible. The Bible is necessary to maintain spiritual health. Survey says, bing, 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 bing. All right. Y'all are good. And the crowd's going crazy. All right. Number four. I'm going to try to word these right because on the first service, I realized they're kind of tricky. All right. So do you need the Bible to know some of God's character? You need the Bible to know some of God's character. Oh, it was a little harder. All right, so yes or no? Do we need the Bible to know some of God's character? No, yes, no. Uh huh. So, do we need to know? Do we have to have the Bible to know some of God's character? Everybody's like, well, he said some. I mean, I don't know if it's some or not. I mean, is this a trick question? Is some of God's character? All right, well. I'm going to pretend y'all, I want y'all to be right or wrong. All right, we're going to pretend y'all said, no, survey says, bing, 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 bing. All right, so there are things God reveals. So I guess it's a yes and no. I can understand why that's a hard question, but you get the place. You get the point. Let's keep playing. All right, so number five, do you need the Bible to know some of God's moral standards? Let me reword this. Do you need the Bible to know that you have broken God's moral standards? Oh, confident, yes. Survey says, bang. Yeah, oh, everybody like, what? A gasp in the crowd. All right, so the, the scriptures tells us that the conscience bears witness that we have broken God's law, and that is even for those who do not have the word of God. So go read Romans 1 and 2. Most of those fall in that category. All right, I think I ought to miss some of these too. Don't worry. I don't know who said it. I would make fun of you right now, but I won't. Steve Harvey would make fun of you right now. All right, final one. I think you're going to get this right. Do you need the Bible to know the gospel? Yes, survey says. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. All right. Well, y'all have to stay because y'all missed one. Y'all can't all go to lunch right now. All right, well, uh, here's what Grudem says in his Systematic Theology, which is a seminal work for us on uh, doctrines about different things. And so the necessity of Scripture means the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will. But it is not necessary for knowing that God exists or for knowing something about God's character and moral laws. So here, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to use that column of what is necessary, what the Bible is necessary for. Those are going to be our three points today. Knowing God's will, maintaining spiritual life, knowing the gospel. God, we ask for your help this morning. As we study your scriptures, our desire, our prayer is that you would raise our appreciation, our treasure of the scriptures, that we would understand what an incredible gift the Bible is to us, and that we would 
see our desperate need for the Bible and that we would treasure it because of that. We know that this requires your work in our hearts, so we ask you to do that by your Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, the Bible is necessary to know the gospel. And obviously that means not just reading it, but it means we got the gospel from the Bible and so we can share it or we can give them the Bible or we can explain it. But the way we got it was through the Bible. It's necessary to have the Bible to know the gospel. Now when we talk about the gospel, I'm going to go to the scriptures that Jared read for us. It talks about the God's wisdom. But in that text, when Paul is talking about the wisdom of God is a mystery and it was not from man. He is talking about the gospel. Let me tell you how I know that. Because in the verses leading up to that text, Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, we see Paul, when he says the wisdom of God, he's talking about the gospel. He said, but we preached Christ crucified. That's the gospel. To Jews, a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. Verse 24. But to those who are the called, the believers both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And so Paul is saying, when he talks about this wisdom that we're going to see, he says, is hidden, he's talking about the gospel wisdom that this, this plan, this idea, this whole perfect plan of God, how can a holy God who is a just God, and justice demands that sin be punished. How can that God, who is committed to his justice, at the same time let us off the hook for our sins? Well, there's a plan, there's a way, there's a wisdom that comes from God that explains how that can be brought about. And what we see is that God took on flesh and poured out his wrath, his justice was served, On himself, the God-man took the punishment so that then he could let us escape the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And that's the gospel. That's only known by the Bible revealing that to us. Those are concepts that no man created, no religion created, no, no pope, no bishop, no preacher, no, no denomination came up with these things. Nothing but God's word reveals this to us. And Paul talks about that wise plan, that wisdom. He says this, and this is, I, I'm sorry, somehow when I've, copied this text. They told me the first service, my, my uh, version's a little different than what you'll see, but you can understand. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, so here's what he's describing about this gospel wisdom, it's not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom is in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God predestined before the ages to our glory. So he says this gospel that, that we know that we bank our life, our soul, our, eternal, our eternity, we bank it on that. This message was, was in the mind of God. It was hidden in God's wisdom. It was, it was hidden in God's mind. It was not available to humanity. It was not something that the rulers of this ages that they came up with and the scholars didn't sit around and put the best thinkers and minds in place and say, well, let's, let's, let's make sense of this this way. It was not in man's intuitive intelligence. It was something in the mind of God. It was a mystery to man. It was not of the rulers of this age or of this age. 
And he, the question then is, well, how did we get it? How did we get this gospel out of the mind of God? How did God, God's gospel, the good news that, that sinners can be reconciled with God, how did we get this knowledge? Well, Paul goes on in verse 7 and says, we speak it to you. This is Paul, the we refers to the apostles. The apostles spoke this gospel message to the, the listeners, and they wrote it down, recorded it. It was encapsulated. It was inscripturated for our knowledge, for us to understand. And so the apostles spoke it. And it's, it's not of the mind of the apostles. It was given to the apostles. In verses 10 and following, Paul says this, For to us, the apostles, for to the apostles, God revealed the mysteries of the gospel, revealed them through the Spirit. So the Spirit of God searches all things, even the depths of God. In verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit? And so also no one comprehended the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so then you keep going in verse 12, and he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. So this is Paul talking about the apostles, saying we receive the Spirit of God who searches the mind of God, just like your spirit searches your mind. And he says that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And so in verse 13, he continues. He says, and we impart this in words, words that you can understand and comprehend. We impart this in words taught by human, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit of God, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so what Paul is saying is that this this mysterious, unbelievably wise plan of how a holy, just God can forgive sinful humanity without betraying His justice by bringing forth righteousness in his own self, the person of Jesus, that any sinner who puts their faith in Christ gets credit for the righteousness of Christ. That the wrath of God wasn't like, ah, eh, we're not going to worry about that. The wrath of God was executed. Justice was found as he punished Jesus. But then, in his grace, he forgives us who trust in Jesus. Now, who came up with that? God did. No man. It was in the mind of God. And how do we know that was the plan? How do we know? The Spirit of God who searches the complete understanding of God revealed it to the apostles who spoke it, and it was recorded for us in scriptures. For they spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. And so they recorded these in scriptures. It was passed down to us. And so we have the gospel only because we have the Bible. If you didn't have the Bible, you wouldn't know these truths. You wouldn't have any idea that this is how it all works. And so Wayne Grudem summarizes it well this way. He says, How the holiness and the justice of God can ever be reconciled with His willingness to forgive sins is a mystery that has never been solved by any religion apart from the Bible. Nor does the Bible give us any hope that it could ever be discovered apart from the specific, specific revelation from God. It is the great wonder of our redemption that God himself has provided the way of salvation 
by sending his own son, who is both God and man, to be our representative and bear the penalty for our sins, thus combining the justice and love of God in one infinitely wise and amazingly gracious act. And this fact, which seems commonplace to the Christian ear, should not lose its wonder for us. It could never have been conceived by man alone apart from God's special verbal revelation, and that's the Scriptures. Thank God He has explained it to us. So what's the big deal about all this? What implications does this have on your life when you leave here? I just came up with two quickly. This means, first of all, that there's only one gospel. There's only one message. And every day someone is trying to tell you, no, that's not necessarily right. That, that's kind of a Western philosophy that we've come up with. But in other continents and other cultures, that can't. if we believe that to be God's word, and we've already seen it absolutely is God's word, it is the only way to have the authoritative answer to how to solve this problem of our sin. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4.12, Paul says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I could go on and on and on, but Jesus, the Bible makes it clear there's only one way of salvation, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. So this implies another very important implication. And we must share the gospel. Romans 10, 13 through 17, Paul says this, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But there's a logical question here. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him and who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher or someone who will proclaim it? How will they preach unless they have been sent, unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We have the source of the gospel. God gave us the gospel. God gave us the scriptures. He gave us faith to believe. And now he says, go and spread that gospel. Spread the word of God with others. Are you reading, studying the gospel in the scriptures? And are we sharing that message with others? There's only one way to know it. There's only one way to know it. The Bible doesn't tell us... of. Hey, don't worry about it. If you don't share it, I'm going to take care of it. It's the opposite message in the Bible. Go make disciples of all nations. Share what I have given you in the scriptures. So not only do we need the Bible to know the gospel, but we also need the Bible to maintain spiritual life. When does life begin? In the womb. When does spiritual life begin? Upon salvation. Remember Nicodemus in John 3 comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? He says, you must be born again. 
and he talks about the Spirit of God. You must be born again by the Spirit of God. And he's talking about when we have faith in Christ, it's we are born of the Spirit of God. That's when spiritual life begins. Too many times we as believers treat the Bible like, okay, that got me saved. I understand in here that I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I trust Jesus. I got saved. Now let me close the Bible and put it on the shelf. And now let me be spiritual, right? Now let me know the, the spiritual side of being saved. Let me, let me walk in the spirit. Let me be spirit, 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 as if the spirit and the word are in contrast, are in contradiction, are working against each other. And so we think the spiritual life is this more mystical side of the Christian life. And, and we spend all the rest of our life trying to be mystical and having the spiritual side. And what we're doing here is bringing those two back together and seeing that the spiritual life that God has for you is known and experienced in and through the study and application of the Word of God. It certainly is a spiritual encounter. The Spirit of God enables us to understand and apply and live the Word of God, but it's not separate. It's a spiritual encounter of God through His Word. The spiritual Life that we began by faith in Christ, where the Spirit of God dwells us, it is continued and matured and brought to health and maintained the spiritual life is maintained just like our physical bodies are maintained through. Uh, we see through bread. Listen to what Jesus says about the bread. He says, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He says, just like you feed your body bread, you need to feed your spirit with the word of God, with everything that comes out of the mouth of God, every word. In 1 Peter 2, we see the same thing. Peter says something very similar. We've had a few babies in this church, in case you didn't know. Just walk back there during the service, and you'll see the glorious gifts of God, babies, babies, babies everywhere. Here's what he says about babies. He says, just like newborn babies long for pure milk of the word, just like newborn babies, we should long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. So those who have tasted the kindness of the Lord, those who have tasted God and his glorious salvation, crave to know his word, crave it like babies crave milk. When a baby wants milk, everything stops. And we make sure, feed the baby. I don't care what you had going on, feed that baby because they will make your life miserable until that happens. And it's all a happy experience, children. We love doing this. And so what, what Peter is saying is when you have tasted the goodness of God, when you've become a believer, you long for the word of God to feed your body. And Jesus is saying the same thing, that just like you need to feed your physical body with food and water and drink, you've got to feed your spiritual body with the, the meat and the word and the milk of the word of God. And, and so what do we do to make this happen? What is the implication here? about this. I went, to, I went on vacation and I was doing so good. I went, joined Anytime Fitness right here. 
took all excuses away. Don't know why they had to put that so close. Took all my excuses away. I said, okay, I'm going to join that. And I started going. I've been rehabbing. My back is doing so much better. It's been so good. I know all the benefits of it. But we went on vacation for a week. And I said, I ain't doing nothing healthy for a week. Of course, we did in Colorado. We hiked, and that was good. I was like, see, this is credit. I get credit for this, but I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. Came back, and I'm like, okay, I got to get back into the routine. Right now, I've gotten about one day a week. I'm about one-fifth or one-fourth of my goal already accomplished. But I'm sure all of us going on vacation get that same challenge of the discipline and the time commitment and the calendaring and recording what you're eating, making sure what you're taking in is healthy and making sure that you're exercising. And it's no different for the Bible. If you want to feed your soul, you want to feed your spirit, you got to make a plan. You got to get an accountability partner, just like you do when you work out. Someone that says, I don't care, you're tired, get up. You're standing me up. I thought we were going to meet. Someone that says that you, you know, okay, this is my time, and when you miss it, you know you missed it. And this is my plan, and this is what I'm taking in. How much am I taking in junk food? How much of unhealthy food am I taking in? How much of the Bible am I taking in? It's the same thing that we got to do for our spiritual life. Spiritual life is maintained through the Bible. You cannot maintain spiritual life without the Bible. Those aren't separate. Those are the same. The way you feed your spirit is through the Bible. Are we maintaining a steady diet of the Word? To help you do this, we staff have been scheming to help you. This fall, we are going to have a, a whole initiative called The Whole Church, The Whole Bible. The whole church worked through the whole Bible for three years. We're going to do all kinds of ways to make this possible. We're going to talk about it in community group. We're going to give you all kinds of resources that give you daily quiet time resources. We're going to encourage you with regular contact. We're going to have all kinds of things that we're going to incorporate into our, our way of doing things that are going to help you work through the whole church. is going to work through the whole Bible in three years. It's going to be awesome. And I think God's going to do great things through it. So the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and finally, the Bible is necessary for knowing God's will. We're memorizing several scriptures. One scripture that we're memorizing is Romans 12, 2, and I'm having a hard time because I've got four versions in my mind. But here's one version. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may provide, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do you know the will of God? By having your mind transformed and renewed by the word of God. We're also memorizing Psalm 119.11. Anyone want to stand up and say it? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. And so what is that telling us? That the word of God has the will of God. It transforms our mind and it Having it in our heart means memorizing it, thinking about it, applying it, following it. So that I might not sin against you. That means so that I might not get outside of your will for my life. So to know God's will, we've got to know God's word. 
Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in your Bible. It's in the dead center of your Bible. It is the heart of your Bible, and it is all about your Bible. And here's just what the first five verses say about the Bible, about knowing His will, His word, His statutes, His laws, His instructions, and says that is how you have the blessed life. Listen to what he says. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do know unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. The psalmist knows the blessed life, God's will, God's path of blessing is found in the scriptures. Once again, I'm pulling two things that seem to be separated so often, pulling them back together. We want to say, well, I know God's Bible is important because it's for my head and it tells me what I should believe and how I should think. But I want to know what God's will is. I want to know where the real action is. I want to know what God's secret, mysterious plan for my life is. And I want to discover that because that's where real blessing is. That's where real happiness is. If I could just figure out plan A or plan B, I would be happy and I would be okay. And God is saying, no, plan, your your two worlds need to come back together. The will that God wants you to know, the path of blessing, the the path of happiness, the path of joy is, is discovered in knowing what God has revealed to us. Remember, Moses again in Deuteronomy said, the mysterious will of God, the secrets of God are still his, but he has revealed so much to us that he wants us to know them and that that is for us and that is for our children and that should be our focus. Instead of focusing on the part we don't know and the mystery, God says, focus on what I have revealed because that's where they come together. Living out what he has revealed is the way to discover what he has not revealed. Let me say that again. Living out what he has revealed is the way to experience and discover the parts he has not revealed to us. It's a road map. If you think of it this way, like if if that side of the room is forest and trees and vines and brush, and and that side is forest and trees and vines and brush, like out in the piney woods and you're hunting and you're like, I don't even know how to get home. I'm lost. I'm confused. But then right here in the middle, God has revealed a path. Someone bush hogged it. Someone cut it down and cleaned it up. And then they poured concrete and down these aisles, he poured a five foot brick wall. These are the curbs in your life. The word of God, the the plans that are revealed in God, the purposes of God revealed in the scriptures, the the will of God that says, thou shall not, thou shall, are the curbs. Don't do this is one curb. You can do this is another curb. It creates a path of life. And it says, as long as you know my plans, my purposes, my mission, my character, the do's and don'ts, then you are in the path. And it gives you clear direction and you can know with certainty you're walking with the will of God. Inside the path, there's a lot of freedom. 
There's a lot of grace and a lot of freedom that I don't know if I should do this job or this job. I don't know if I should date this person or that person. I don't know if I should take this career path or that career. I don't know if I should do this or that. Well, let me just tell you, just make sure you're on the path of God's will, God's glory, God's mission, God's protection, and enjoy the life he set before you. And he will handle it. Now, you want to ask everyone else on the path, hey, does this seem to be the right path? And if they say, well, heck no, that's out in the ditch. Don't go out there. Oh, okay. Well, what about this? You know what? Maybe that. This seems to make sense for you. And there's a lot of freedom. You don't have to live with fear of them. Maybe God's mad. Maybe it's hitting what he wanted. Maybe he has a better plan. If he has a better plan in this path and he wants you to know it, he'll make it clear. So enjoy it. Be free to walk the path he has for you. Don't be paralyzed with uncertainty about what God might want. If you know his word, you get this confidence about you. Now, I shared with you all uh, about my previous depths of Bible study before I went in the ministry. That I finally, when I went in the ministry, now hear me say that again. Finally, when I went into the full-time ministry, I had to start reading the Bible to learn it. I'm sorry about that order, but that's the way it played in my life. So I started with the deep theological book of Big Picture Baby Bible. Very large pictures, very few words. Read that, went to the next age, pictures got a little smaller, got a few more words on each page. Went to the next stage and did that. And I am not joking. That is how I got up to speed with the Word of God. And then finally just kept going until I got to adult Bibles and started reading those and studying those and committing my life to it. Let me tell you what was going on at the same time. Up until that point where I was in the Word of God, my ability to discern the will of God was like the the worst superstition you've ever seen in your life. I was just walking around looking for signs. I I would think God would speak to me through bumper stickers and billboards. I would have encounters. Was that God will? Hey, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that sign. Maybe God's telling me this. It was embarrassing. I did not know how to discern the will of God. I was paralyzed. I was double-minded. I was tossed to and fro. I did not know the will of God because I did not know the word of God. And the same is true for your life. If you don't know the word of God, then you do not have confidence on how to discover the path for, of, of God's, God's path for your life. You have to know the word of God to know the will of God. If you want to discover that secret, mysterious plan that God has for your life, it's not through outside some mysticism or some mystical experience. If you want to know how to make decisions that honor God, you get in His Word and you study it with depth and knowledge of understanding. And that's why we are here, is to help you do that. We've already seen that it's clear enough to know it and to learn it. But if you want to do it, you've got to apply yourself just like you have to apply yourself to physical exercise. So to know the gospel, we've got to know the Bible. To know, to have maintained spiritual life, we've got to know the Bible. To know the will of God, we've got to know the Bible. So the question is this. Do you know your Bible? We want to help you be in the word and be a people of the word. Father God, if we ask for your help this morning, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would give us a love for your word, that you would give us faith to believe that the word is, knowing the word is worth it, 
that it is the blessed life, that obeying it is the blessed life, that knowing it is knowing your will for our lives. It's the way that we experience all the the joys of the blessed life that you have in store for us. Lord, I pray that we will be a people of your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is revealed in your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.